Welcome to the Back to Basketball Podcast. Athletes, experts, trainers, and mindset coaches. Conversations that will change your perspective on your mind and body and its capabilities so that you can train and live pain-free and with purpose. Now, here's your host, Darcy Koss. Today, we have Shane Dowd. He's the CEO and founder of GotRom.com. He helps people fix injuries, get flexible, and move more mindfully. He's a certified massage practitioner, strength and conditioning coach, and corrective exercise specialist. He started GotRom after he was prescribed surgery for his hip impingement. Rather than get the surgery, he went on a journey to fix himself. Now that was 10 years ago. Shane is now pain-free and teaching people the techniques he learned throughout his journey. Scott Rahm has helped thousands of people through their TSR system of programs. I'm grateful to have Shane on as he and I share a similar story and share many of the same philosophies around training and living life. So here's my interview with Shane Down. Oh, and don't forget, like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast, as well as follow us on social media. All right, here's the interview. Welcome, Shane. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, being a busy guy. Um, I know when I reached out to you, uh, I actually reached out to you on Instagram. I want a while ago, uh, and, uh, I got your assistant <laughs> and, uh, and I, I don't even remember what I was actually asking at the time, but I don't think I followed up. I think she said something and I said, okay, cool. And then I reached out to you. I want to say a week ago and I actually said hey to your manager and you said no no it's Shane <laughs> and I was like yes I got him and I was like yeah. would you come on and you're like absolutely and I was like this is great so so thank you so much I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and, and speaking to me yeah it's my pleasure and thanks to Mary because I, I think I actually remember because I get a lot of dms and requests and people asking for this or that and she was like, you should, you should check out this guy. And like, I think you should communicate with him. And I was like, okay. And so she's like the first kind of filter. And if she, you passed her filter, and so that's why I started responding directly. And, and I looked into what you did and was kind of inspired by your story. And I thought it would be a great match to come on and chat and see if we can help some of the younger guys who kind of give a message to the younger guys who we used to be. See if yes. We pain and problems. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. So a common question on podcasts, and I'm not going to ask it. I had asked it before. And I said, this question doesn't make sense, especially in this. I don't think it makes sense ever, really. But I get the idea behind the question. But it's always like, if you could talk to your younger self, what would you tell them? But the question needs to be rephrased, because it's not your younger self. Because if the things you went through didn't happen, you would literally wouldn't be doing the things you're doing. And I think, you know, you probably love where you are and I, and I think that you know part of your journey is is I know this it's changed who you are completely and you're very probably happy with who you are right now so it's a weird question um, I'm not going to ask it <laughs> so don't even think about replying to it I just wanted to throw that out there I just wanted to throw that out there um, I want to jump right into it um, I, I, I uh, you know follow you on Instagram obviously you have some really great content uh, Instagram and YouTube and um you know, you posted a video about a month ago, and it was about uh, back mobility, low back mobility, or stability. And, you know, I think that's a good point to start the conversation, just because, uh, 
you know, the, it really resonated with me. And I think it's a, it's a, it's highly debated. People will say, oh yeah, you have to do this. Oh yeah, you have to do that. And, and everyone just has an answer. Hey, do this, do that, do this stretch. Uh, you know, you got to get stronger. Um, so, you know, could you maybe give us the quick synopsis of what that video was about? And then what was the ultimate conclusion of the video? Sure. Yeah. Low back mobility versus stability. It's kind of like whenever someone has back pain, uh, they, they go to what they know. So some people immediately go to yoga and they think, okay, I have back pain. There's probably a stretch that I need to be doing. And they go and just start stretching and they get things more flexible, more loose, more bendy. But that may or may not be what they need. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the strengthening crowd, which is like, if I have back pain, something's weak and I need to get it stronger, usually my core. So they get the back and the core kind of stronger. But that video was kind of a more nuanced discussion of like, do you need more stability and strength, more powerlifting, more deadlifts in your life to fix your back pain? Or do you need more stretching or a combination of both? And the, the, the conversation about back pain and low back mobility or stability can expand out because from like a physical therapy perspective, also your hips and your ankle mobility and stability matter and are going to influence your back pain. But just when it comes to kind of like your spine and your low back, should, should you be more strong like a power lifter or like a yogi? And the conclusion of the video is basically like some combination of both. I should be able to create a very rigid, stable spine that can pick up heavy objects and squat and deadlift and lift things because that can be helpful athletically um, and might be helpful for my pain. But I also should be able to be kind of like water and be able to flow and move and do a back bridge. And um, because also being too stiff can cause injuries. Like there's the example of the basketball player who, you know, is in the weight room all the time and they get really strong and they're very stiff. But then one day they go to pick up a pencil off the ground and they throw their back out. Um, and it was basically they had no range of motion. And so they went a little bit outside of their range of what they have and they caused an injury. So it's kind of like, be the yogi and the strong athlete and that's sort of the optimal combination absolutely it's funny you say that you reached out for a pen that's not i've hurt my back not exactly that way reaching down for a basketball and uh definitely threw my back out that way so good good times um would you say that that video reflects your overall training philosophy yeah i'm i'm very much not like things are black and white like you need like just talking about the back, you need to be braced neutral spine all the time. Like the Stu McGill approach to back pain. And that's unfair to his thing because he's not just be neutral all the time. Um, but I'm a very middle path guy. And I think that there's many shades of gray and uh, one case of back pain or one case of knee pain or hip pain or whatever can, the solution to it can be very different. So it's very individualized. There's many shades of gray. And I'm always looking, I'm always starting at the extreme, like what do the extremes recommend? And then I usually find the truth somewhere in the middle when it comes to fixing a person's specific pain that they have going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I uh, personally can speak to that. I was definitely on the tight side of things <laughs> and I've, uh, I've again, just in gaining flexibility and range of motion, it's just like, I, I recently had a win, um, I don't know, I want to say about a month and a half ago, the training that I'm doing now is uh, the ideas, you know, probably matches yours very closely or, or exactly as kind of having strength through your length. So through those ranges. And um, uh, we were doing uh, one of the things that at, uh, 
that uh, was in the program was um, the Nordic, uh, not Nordics, um, Jefferson Curl. And just not weight, just unweighted, just doing it, right? Like, and if I could pull up on a, on the screen a picture of me doing it before and after, it would just be like, you're just like, wow. I, but like, it was like my back, you know, like there was the, in the area that I had these disc herniations, it was just, they wouldn't move because it was guarding, right? It was just protected, even though I wasn't hurt anymore. So, um, you know, I can, I, I, you know, me personally, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and then, and, and I think you said in the video as well, that there's people on the other end of the spectrum that are super like stretchy and they might, they're not necessarily strong, but they can get, speaking to lower back pain, some of those same issues with micro you know, movements affecting the spine because they don't have the, like you said, the rigid spine to deal with it. So I think it's, uh, I think in the video, you actually say um, the middle way. You speak about that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the yogi, the weightlifter, and the middle way. Yes. And the middle way is usually the, the way that's going to be what most people need. Yeah, it's like if you can get to that point um, in doing this in this training, it's like now I'm, I'm out here, you know, respectfully preaching. I guess anyone who's listening right now, I'm preaching to them too. But, but just the idea, exactly that is like, you know, there isn't one way to fix things. And there's nuance to, to everything, especially humans. Um, and, uh, you know, so anyways, I can go on and on about that. I'm actually curious. So, um, you know, we, uh, in the video, in the video that, uh, mobility versus stability, you actually talk about your story specifically about your, uh, back pain story, back injury story. You actually have a video of it. You have a, a video of your back pain, uh, back injury moment. Um, and then, uh, you go on to talk about some of your hip issues. So I was curious, um, in there, you actually mentioned that you were prescribed surgery so can you tell you know tell me about the day you were prescribed surgery for your hip yeah it was yeah well it was it happened at different moments i've had multiple people prescribe <laughs> well maybe the first time when you were like wow the first time the first time is i was complaining to my coach my mentor he's a physical therapist strength coach brainiac genius kind of guy and um and I was just complaining of all this pain and problems that I was having. And I was like doing an overhead squat with a barbell, like will throw my back out for days. And he's like, yeah, bro, because your hips are messed up because you have FAI and you need to stop being an idiot and go get <laughs> surgery. And I was like, ah, and this is like my mentor. This is someone I look up to. I admire. I know he's super smart. Um, but for whatever reason, I wasn't quite ready to at the time. I just thought there had, I thought I hadn't explored all the other options. So that kind of led me on a multi-year multi long journey into stretching, flexibility, yoga, physical therapy. I became a massage therapist. And I fortunately got out of my back problems and hip problems without the surgery. Um, and, and that's why I now teach those things because it was very eye-opening to me that everything was pointing towards surgery. My mentors, the experts, my x-ray, my MRI said, you have cam impingement, you have a labral tear, you have a, a bone cyst, um, you have all these problems and you should go get surgery. But I said, I might someday, I might, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in my back pocket as an option, but until it gets, if it just keeps getting worse and worse, I'll go get surgery. But in the meantime, I'm gonna experiment. So I did all these experiments, did hours and hours of mobility work and stretching every day mentored under as many people that I could find, you know, spent tons and tons of money on different healing modalities. 
and um, fortunately came out of it and kind of took the best practices from all those people and all those systems um, and put it together into now what I teach. But that was that was a, a startling day when like the person that you most look up to uh, is like stopping an, an idiot and go get surgery and to say no, to say, let me try to figure it out on my own first. Uh, it, it took a lot, but I'm glad that I did. <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the thing that's stood out with your story. And again, I've, I've spoken to many other people who have the same story, go get surgery, go get surgery. And it seems like, you know, the amount of physiotherapists out there, the amount of, you know, athletic therapists, there's so many therapists out there. And those people actually, his job is not to prescribe surgeries, but it seems for some reason that like you don't, there's like a middle, there's a space in the middle that there's, there's something missing. Um, where people either they go get their physio physiotherapist and eventually if they can't fix them they say well you might have to go get surgery and it's weird because it speaks a lot to like again more the mentality i guess of our medical system out here in the west it's like hey we got we you just gotta you gotta you just go under the knife you know you mechanically fix things that seems to be very common um and again, it's the whole reason why you you know i'm speaking to you right now is you had this and and had you had you done that uh, you may have not had pain again, and you may have been fine and, and who knows, but why do you think that there's, there's this, you know, this big blind spot, um, especially in North America, I can only really speak to North America with regards to training on one end and then treatment on the other end. And, and in the middle, there seems to be this, this, this area that you're tapping into right now, where you can fix yourself through actual you know, self-therapy, if you want, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, deep question. Um, I think that in general, the system that we've all created over many years now is a system of experts. And we've grown to, to trust that if something goes wrong, you should go to an expert and they're going to fix you. Um, and in many ways, that's really beautiful and great. Like for example, if I get cancer, I'm probably not going to try to home remedy myself and figure it out because I trust much more someone that's been studying cancer for 12, 15 years. I might do my own research because that's the kind of person that I am. I want to also know about it and see what alternatives there are. But I, I do, and I think we all have a lot of faith in medicine and science in general. So it's, it's good to have those experts who have this very specific niche specialty. But the problem with that is if you have studied one thing your whole life, then it's possible that you become the proverbial, like when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. So the hip surgeons and the hip doctors and the experts that have studied hip surgeries and surgeries their whole life, they have a relatively simplistic sort of schema that they can prescribe. They can say, I can do your surgery or you can just let it rest and take some pills and just let it calm down or you can try physical therapy and for the longest time for most physical ailments that's what um most people those are your options it's like we can we can cut it <laughs> we can <laughs> pill it or you can try some some rehab and some physical therapy which can often be good but it can also be very hit or miss because um oftentimes People go to physical therapy school and they sort of get churned out to, we all follow the same basic protocols. And a lot of it can be textbook theory that they learned in school, 
not something that they personally had to like struggle and fight and deal with and come up with a bunch of strange different unique exercises like if you've watched my youtube channel for any length of time you know that there's some weird tools and weird body positions and weird exercises that i get into um, where you're massaging the nooks and crannies of your adductors and your hips with weird implements and you're not going to find a lot of that in traditional physical therapy so um, i think that we all are a bit dependent on running to someone else to fix us because that's just the system that's slowly been built up over time and it has good things about it but um, like you said, I'm kind of tapping into or filling, filling a need um, in that middle where it's like, if you don't want to get surgery and physical therapy hasn't worked for you, what's the do-it-yourself approach? What can you do to take responsibility for my body? This is my body. Like mm -hmm. it kind of makes a lot of sense that I should take responsibility for it and learn how it works. Just like a, a car mechanic learns the ins and outs of a car. Why don't human beings learn the ins and outs of the human body and how to fix it when it breaks down like wouldn't that be a good skill to teach our children and our young people <laughs> Absolutely. we're all going to have pain at some point uh and it's a whole lot more empowering to know how to fix it on your own rather than just being like someone fix me please because then there's no power in that situation you just feel i really hope that someone else can fix me absolutely man that's that is uh that is that is, you, you just spoke to, to the mission and vision of, of what I'm doing right now is to have people be accountable for, for their bodies and uh, to realize. One thing that I always say, uh, I've been saying to people is like, you have to realize it's like, you are an animal, just by the way. And, uh, and uh, your body's capable of all sorts of things. And I think obviously you're, you're evidence of that if you look at your before and after stuff. And uh, people, we get, uh, we just forget that we're animals. I like, I truly believe that, you know, hey, I go to work, I sit all day at my office and I go sit on the couch and then I wonder why I have pain. Um, and so, and, and that's, that's even for athletes. You know, I know people who are athletes and all they do is sit around and then they go to the gym and like, okay, let's go do this. And it's like, well, your body hasn't been moving. You haven't been doing anything yet. Again, your range is poor, all this stuff. And you're, you know, you're, you're likely to get injured at some point. And uh, so, so I'm just happy you say that because it's, uh, I think just that, that personal accountability um, is so, so important um, and being able to fix yourself and accountable to yourself uh, is, is, is key. Now, I, so when you were going through your injury, um, you were on that, that, um, uh, that mission exploring, I know that you did get into meditation and mindfulness somewhere along the way. I guess the role, uh, especially during that, that point of recovery when you were, when you were trying to figure out, you know, how do I get better? Uh, what was the role of meditation and mindfulness? What role did it play in that recovery in that journey um, uh, in kind of finding out how your body works and how you can fix yourself? Yeah, it played a huge role. It, um, it was fundamental. It was um, because meditation and mindfulness enhanced the quality of all of the work that I was doing. So it's not just showing up to the gym, it's doing quality work while you're in the gym. It's not just shooting free throws, it's quality free throws. It's like, um, uh, what's the guy who wrote the book about the 10,000 hour rule and- Malcolm Gladwell? Maybe, he might've popularized it, but there was someone who created okay. the original. But the point is that you need to practice deliberately, which is another way in my mind of saying mindfully. And so that goes for basketball free throws, that goes for 
not just going through the motions in the gym, like, okay, I'm going to the gym and I work out. I've worked out 365 five days in a row. Why am I not more strong? It's because you're just going through the motions. There's also the level of focus and presence and um, relaxation that you have while you're doing all of those things. So in my mind, like um, meditation helped me to do all of my stretching, all of my strengthening, all of my massage, all of my mobility work at a higher quality. And therefore it was more effective. And therefore I was more effective as someone who was trying to heal my own pain. Um, it's got, this is a bit of an extreme example, but it kind of would be like saying, is it better to play basketball in the zone 100% of the time or never in the zone, like never in that, that, that flow state? And of course, anyone would say, yeah, it'd be way better if I was in the zone all the time. I'd be like Superman, like it'd be amazing. <laughs> but uh, getting into that flow state, getting into the zone, getting into a very mindful kind of space um, is not easy. It takes practice. And so that's where the meditation practice came in for me. And almost since the day that I started about nine years ago, I've been meditating an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, and then also going on 10, 20, 30 day long meditation retreats, which are like deep dives into meditation. And the amount of self-awareness that comes out of that type of a meditation practice is incredible. It's like, I feel at such a subtle level what's going on in my body when I'm doing anything, especially if you have a body-based meditation practice, which is what I practice. I practice Vipassana meditation, which is observation neutral observation of your body sensations. So as I'm stretching, as I'm squatting, as I'm doing a deadlift, I have a heightened awareness of my inner IQ, my interioception. I call it like inner IQ, like how aware are you of what's actually happening in your body? So I would say that that, that was a critical part of my recovery process and something that I encourage any athlete to um, to have some kind of a mindfulness practice, any human being really, but if we're talking to athletes who are in pain or coming out of pain, a meditation practice is supremely helpful in that journey. Absolutely, man. So you said you 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 go uh, fairly regularly an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening? Yeah, every day, every day. And, um, and then at least one course or more if I can per year. And I also do some kind of volunteer service work as well, because it's an, it's not a for-profit organization. It's like a, no one in the organization makes any money. So I'll often go and serve or volunteer on a course to cook the food or clean or whatever, and kind of pay it forward to the other people that are doing meditation. That's amazing. And so how long have you been doing the, the hour in the morning and the hour in the evening? Um, I mean, in the beginning, it was a bit of a battle because obviously it's no easy task to just meditate two hours a day. So it's like, um, I think in the beginning, it was a little bit up and down. I have, you know, the first year one, it was like two hours a day and then an hour a day and then nothing, and then two hours a day. And it was a little, little bit up and down. But after a couple of years, it became pretty solidly two hours a day. And I'd say for the past, I don't know, maybe five years, I've been pretty darn consistent at two hours a day. That's amazing. I think that is something that a lot of people uh, struggle with is consistency with anything, I would say. But meditation, if they're, if they're trying to incorporate that so, you know, I, I've done um, hour-long meditations for uh, 60 days straight because I want to say, can I do this? Um, before that, I was doing 20, 30-minute um, meditations, which I still do now. And every once in a while, I do an hour one. But was there a reason why you said two? Is it just because you enjoy it? Um, what's, what's your reasoning behind it? 
it was the recommendation from the teacher of the course after after you do a 10-day meditation retreat they say you know we recommend that you do an hour in the morning an hour in the evening because it's kind of like showering it's kind of like after you wake up like before you do anything else it's kind of like you clean your brain and first thing and you kind of start your day with a feeling light feeling relaxed feeling present focused and then at the end of the day, after you've had, you've done all the stuff, you've been working on your business, you've been interacting with people, you've been coaching, you've been doing whatever you do, kind of washing off the day and re-cleansing your mind one more time and then kind of going to bed like that is just a really nice practice. Two hours a day might seem like a lot to people, and it is if, if you have no experience with meditation, but after your first meditation retreat where you practice this inner mental skill, this kind of like bicep curls for your brain, you practice it for like a hundred hours, 10 hours a day for 10 days. And, and then after that, two hours a day seems much more kind of reasonable and realistic and something that you want to do because it's not like I have to like force myself to do it. It's like the more you do it, the more benefits you get from it, the more you want to mm -hmm. keep doing it. But you have, to, you have to get that momentum in the beginning. And that's why they recommend the 10 day courses so that you, you get a, a deep felt experience, not an intellectual idea of what meditation is going to do for you, but like a deep felt embodied sense of like, wow, I've never felt this open, this loving, this present to the people in my life, this chill. And uh, you naturally want to keep that kind of feeling in your life. And so you, you're much more likely to, to keep a two hour a day meditation practice. And it takes time. It's It's like, it's the same thing as physical exercise. Like why don't most people stay that consistent with physical exercise? Because there's so many other things pulling for our attention and our time. And it takes habit building just over time, practice, 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 and it's reshaping your environment, getting some good people around you that are also doing similar things and with their physical practice or their meditation practice. So it's, it's a slow kind of building process to be consistent with meditation or exercise. Absolutely. So I guess jumping off of that, what does a typical morning look like? You get up, you meditate right away? Usually. It's usually the first thing that we do, my wife and I. Okay. And then after that, what do you, what, what's it, just a typical one? Just run us through it. Is there anything specific outside of the meditation that you do uh, to kind of get you focused on the day, planning? What's uh, You just enjoy yourself, have a cup of coffee. What's, what's your morning look like? Um, I'd say the most typical day, I, I've been a longtime believer in the saying, like, if it's important, do it first. And so that's why meditation comes first thing in the morning. Usually after that, probably be some kind of exercise. Could be going for a run. It could be lifting weights. It could be doing yoga. It could be doing mobility work, some combination of all three. Um, sometimes breakfast will come before that, depending on how kind of slow the morning's going. But usually it's like meditation do something good for my body, eat breakfast, and then kind of start working on whatever is my priority for that day business-wise. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I always, I like to ask that question because people always want to know what uh, other, other people are doing. Like, what do you do in the morning? So, uh, yeah. uh, no, that's, that's, that's great. So I want to take, I want to shift a little bit um, away from you personally. And I want to ask you about the, I guess, kinesiology, strength and conditioning uh, world. I know you have a formal, uh, formal, you know, uh, degree from in kinesiology. So you come from from that world, uh, and you obviously lived in it before your injury with with traditional styles of training. Um, what would you say that that world 
you know, maybe gets wrong when it comes to uh, teaching. So, you know, you have a whole bunch of people coming out of kin and uh, going into physical, uh, you know, strength and conditioning, you know, is there, is there one, two, three, or maybe it's a, it's an idea, like, what do they get wrong uh, in your opinion? Um, first thing that kind of comes to my mind is, is uh, not enough kind of like in the trenches experience, like just following the textbooks exactly as they're written, like following the corrective exercise manual, following, you know, just what you learn in class. I wish that all, you know, for all four years of your study, you had, you had to like mentor under a strength and conditioning coach who's actually doing the thing you wanted to do in the real world. Because oftentimes when theory meets reality, it's like kind of a rude awakening. <laughs> so I wish that there was more, I wish that I had, I mean, I had a, I, I actively searched out mentorships and internships when I was um, studying kinesiology and nutrition in college. So I, I did like an internship with a strength and conditioning coach. And then after college, I did a mentorship with a high level track and field coach. So like, but I had to actively seek that out. And I wish it was just sort of provided in the, the curriculum of someone who wants to be a physical therapist, a strength coach or something like that. Like, I know that programs include them, but I think it's so valuable to, to just have the skin in the game, be in the trenches, like be with under the wing of people that are actually doing it and doing it well in the real world. Um, I wish that that was included a little bit more in most education that we get. It used to be in, back in the day, it was like, you just found your mentor and you just mentored under him. And he wasn't a professor teaching it from a textbook. He was actually, that was his trade, his profession. So a little bit more of that. Um, in addition with the, the the theory, the theory and the practice have to go hand in hand. Absolutely. It's just that mentorship model, uh, the, the apprentice, the apprentice and yeah. So, so that's absolutely right. I think, but you yourself, when you were developing, you know, your philosophies and the programs you develop, like say post-injury, you didn't necessarily didn't have a mentor. You kind of just created your own program. Is that correct? Or did you have mentors that kind of guided you down this road? I definitely had mentors. I had several mentors. I had like a primary mentor named Phil Petachenko in Encinitas. He was a chiropractor who did deep tissue body work and, um, and was also a very spiritual guy, meditated a lot. And what was unique about him compared to any other healer, um, physical therapist that I've ever met is he did an extensive amount of work on his own body. So he would like... Mm you know, I would come into his office and he'd start working on me, massaging, getting into these knots in a very mindful and focused way. But he would be sharing at the same time about his own life and his own practice and stuff like that. He'd be like, yeah, you know, I laid on my living room floor and did two to three hours of self body work, you know, with different tools, like <laughs> massage on here. And he was like, can I do that regularly? And I, that's the first time I'd ever heard someone say that they did that. I mean, the most I'd ever heard someone say, I go to the gym or I, I have a yoga practice. Um, but to say that you worked on your body just in your living room for two to three hours was like unheard of to me. Maybe go to the gym for two to three hours, but yeah. like be massaging your body for two to three hours. And so I learned a lot about tissue work and self-massage from him and about how to do deep practice with that modality of healing. And that's why it's such a big component of what I teach now in a nutshell, what I teach is like the tissue work, which is what I learned from Phil and other people. 
stretching, which I borrowed from gymnastics, yoga, physical therapy, all kinds of different stretching systems, and then strengthening and re-education, which came from my kinesiology and strength and conditioning background. And I found that that combination of like deep massage, the best stretching techniques, not just from yoga, but just a variety of systems, sometimes with weight, sometimes bouncing, sometimes different styles of stretching, and then classic really good strength and conditioning, which I learned from my track and field mentor, who was like OCD about technique and form and things like that, um, that led to kind of the best results. So I would say that I definitely had a primary mentor, and then I had several other minor mentors, because I was like so thirsty for knowledge at the time. So I would pay any amount of money and go say, just teach me your techniques for some period of time. So I found the best, I was in San Diego at the time, and I found the best wushu martial arts teachers and the best yogis that I could find and the best physical therapists and people doing PRI and ART and rolfing and massage. And I went back to school for massage. I would say I had quite a few mentors and one primary one. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, going back to some of the earlier conversation we were having, we you, you took the idea, you went and saw everyone who was somewhat in their own worlds and they, they were specialists in their own right. And you said, let me bring this all together and, and create a holistic program for the body that's going to hit on all these different areas to make sure that, you know, people who, who are recovering from pain, uh, who, who are training uh, to avoid pain, I, sh I should say as well, uh, are optimized because it sounds like, in a, and again, you know, you, you said, I know some of the stuff you, you talked about, some of it was I've never heard of before, um, but um, it's definitely a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. And would you say that is literally the key to having a healthy body is with regards to training is to kind of not specialize? Would you say that, that that's accurate? Yeah, in general, I'm much more of a, a generalist, holistic kind of perspective because to me, it's kind of like a saying that I use often is that wisdom comes from multiple perspectives. So if I, if, if, if someone asks us, what is this hand, describe this hand to me, Shane, I'm going to describe it from this angle, but you're going to describe mm -hmm. it from this angle. Mm -hmm. So if I want to know this body and know the, the rules, the laws about why it breaks down, how to fix it, um, I need to see it from multiple perspectives so that I'm more wise, if I have more wisdom. So for me, the, the, the big angles that I need to investigate this body, like I can't chiropractic myself, I can't acupuncture myself, I can't surgery myself. What can I actually do to this physical body? I can massage it. There's texture and tissues. I can massage every nook and cranny of my body with a variety of implements. I can, I can stretch it from a, a variety of different angles, different techniques, and I can strengthen it. Outside of that, and I mean, there's like nutrition and things like mm. that, but outside of massaging, stretching and strengthening, those to me are the big pillars. So those are the, the things that I think are worthy of exploring very, very deeply. And I'm talking like, consider going and getting your four-year college degree in massaging, stretching and strengthening if you're an athlete, because if you, if you, if you learn how to do those very well, you'll be so far ahead of the game in terms of preventing injuries and recovering from injuries that inevitably happen. If you're playing a chaotic sport like basketball or whatever, you're going to get pain and injury. Um, the only question is, will you know what to do about it? Will you know the, the massage technique that could take it away like that? If you just knew it, you know, 
what is a proper movement and technique that you might learn from strength and conditioning? And do you know a couple stretches that can relieve back pain because you have super tight hip flexors or super tight hamstrings or something? So for any athlete out there, I, I, I would recommend the generalist approach and I would recommend uh, deeply exploring at least massaging, stretching and strengthening. I, I want to kind of want to transition into a basketball specific question. Um, now this one, you're going to have to uh, kind of use your imagination a little bit. Uh, basketball players generally are, I mean, as far as mobility and stuff, we're terrible everywhere, ankles, but something that I, I, that uh, me personally, and I know other basketballs like this are groin and uh, <laughs> groin and hips, just terrible. They're, they're absolutely abysmal. And most of the time, you, what you see now in most programs is uh, coaches um, will have their players doing a lot of um, warm-up mobility, warm-up work. So they'll be addressing the hips and things like that. Um, and or potentially some stretching afterwards, um, you know, depending on who your coach is, where you know, what their beliefs are. They're, but they're definitely doing something. I don't know a program that doesn't do anything. But, you know, they still tend to have very tight hips. So I'm curious if you could advise every single basketball coach a way to like, you know, you know, quote unquote, fix their players' hips. What would some of those, some, some of the advice be, whether it be things that they could actually do, things that they could pay attention to, exercises, what would you tell them? I would actually <laughs> say you can't fix all of your players. Sadly, I mean, I wish, I, I've, I've been the high school strength and conditioning coach at an all boys high school. And I know the attention spans and I know the time available with these kids that most your average coach is going to have. And you just don't have enough time to do it all. You'll get some kids that are extra motivated for whatever reason, because they see the value of stretching or they see the value of mobility work. Maybe they've had an injury and then they got interested in not having that happen again. That's usually what happens for most of us is pain like smacks us in the face. And we're like, oh, okay, I care about stretching now and mobility and stuff. But um, I would say incorporate it as incorporate mobility work uh, as much as you can. So if that's in your dynamic warm ups, if it's in the cool downs, um, that's about as good as you're going to be able to do. Um, I think Mike Boyle is a kind of a little bit more of a famous strength and conditioning coach that works with larger groups of athletes. And he's got a pretty efficient system where he uses like a timer that like plays music for like 60 seconds. And he'll design a circuit where the athletes are moving from station to station, doing a mobility thing as either part of their warm up or cool down. And it, kind of, it makes best use of the short amount of time that your average coach has with these people, with these kids or whatever age they are. So if you can design warm-up circuits that include mobility, if you can superset your strength training with mobility, that's something that I do in my own personal practice. I'll do some squats and then some mobility, some pull-ups, some mobility, you know, a deadlift mobility so that I'm not just like in between sets, sitting on my phone and just kind of like wasting time. So sneak in mobility whenever you can in the window that you have with the kids. Circuits before the, the training, superset the actual training, the strength training with them, put it in, in, the, in the cool down as well. So sneak it in where you can and then try to talk, um, get them on board with the idea that the most resilient and long-term athletes athletes or the highest performers in general really respect and take care of their bodies 
Um, some some of them are renowned for you know having going crazy overboard. The Tom Brady's or the you know I don't know who it is in the basketball world in this day and age that's kind of renowned for really caring about and respecting and taking care of their body. But if they're interested in performing well and having longevity and being in the game for a long time. Uh, maybe you can convince a few of them to start doing something at home, but that's really individual. That really depends on, on the kid, on the athlete. Some of them are just not going to have anything to do with it until they hit their thirties and have a traumatic back injury or a pulled groin or something. Um, and other, other, others will listen. And, and I've had kids that are, you know, young and I don't know why, but they just seem to listen to everything you say and actually follow your advice. So, um, so that, that'd be my recommendation. Absolutely. So now maybe the same type of question, but now for the weekend warrior. So we're talking that guy who's 26 to 35 and uh, works a daytime job, uh, probably does a lot of sitting, still plays basketball very seriously. Maybe they play at high level, semi-pro. Um, you know, they have this same type tight hips. You had mentioned about, you know, hey, be doing some work at home. What would you advise them? Yeah. I think for someone that maybe is a little bit older, a little bit more mature, maybe already has had a little bit of experience with injuries, uh, there's less convincing and persuading uh, for them that they should do something. So I'd say develop some kind of basic mobility practice and just start start exploring massaging and stretch, stretching and strengthening for your hips. For most people that starts out with like a basic foam roller or a softball or a lacrosse ball, learning how to massage your body with those implements. That is just the 101 version. It gets a lot more in-depth and interesting when you use other tools and stuff like that. But just getting used to massaging and stretching your body um, and uh, strengthening it and mastering the fundamentals. Like a lot of people will go to the gym, but not a lot of people have spent a lot of time um, really mastering techniques. So if that means finding someone with a good eye and sending them videos or finding a coach or a trainer or a strength coach in a gym who can really teach you how to do good strength and conditioning, that will go a long way. Because actually, I think a lot of the injuries that, that happen for people are actually in the gym when they're trying to get themselves more fit and they end up deadlifting wrong, squatting wrong and getting ending up getting hurt. So that doesn't have to happen. You shouldn't hurt yourself when you're trying to make yourself more robust and athletic. Mm -hmm. uh, but you need, you need to invest a little bit of time and potentially money to um, get training from a professional who's a professional and how to, how to lift weight and stuff like that. So have a mobility practice, even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day, and learn how to um, do really good uh, strength and conditioning in the combination of that mobility work and making your body more resilient and more robust so that it can endure the hardships of your sport, I think would be a good recommendation for the weekend warrior. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, you have some, I mean, your YouTube and Instagram have tons of free content along those lines, uh, ways to address mobility, uh, everything from posture. Uh, you, you posted one <laughs> more recently that you titled Nerd Neck, I believe, uh, looking at your what thoracic spine and your neck and, and your posture. So I think if, if you're you know, there's no shortage of resources out there. And I think some of your stuff is really good. And I know you also have some programs as well for people who are suffering from maybe some chronic injuries. So we'll put all that information, uh, you know, in, in the notes. So in, in links to your websites and social, so people can check that out. Uh, Shane, I have one last question. Now this one, um, looking for some really practical stuff here. Again, 
or whatever you want. It's 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 your question to answer. But again, it it, it requires you to put on a little bit of your of your imagination uh, into it as well. So if you could give three, give people who are suffering from pain and injury. So these are people who have chronic injuries, you know, like they have lower back pain or they have, you know, hip stuff, whatever it is. You can give them three things that you could, that could help them deal with their pain and injuries. What would they be? And it could be anything. It could be physical stuff, mental, uh, whatever, whatever you think, but it can only be three. So it has to be your best three. What would you tell them? This is general pain and injuries or a specific one? So this is like, uh, it could be like for one person, it's like, hey, I, I have lower back pain. And other person's, I have uh, ankle pain from a previous injury. Uh, it could be anything, but they suffer from it and it's chronic. So it's something that they might be playing sports still, but they're like, hey, you know what? Um, this just isn't going away and I don't know what to do and I'm suffering here. And they're suffering. Like it's, it's, it's bad. You know, some days they got to like, not go to work because their ankle swelled up or their back, they threw their back out, you know? Well, you wanted it to be very specific. And <laughs> so I, I would say that whatever your thing is, if it's knee pain, I would go to my YouTube channel and I would search <laughs> knee pain. because literally what I've tried to do is I have, I've tried to hit every possible pain or flexibility issue that someone has and, and not just create one video about it, but create like a playlist of videos for free on YouTube about those topics. So there's like 250 some odd videos on my YouTube channel. And if you want, so, so I would start there because you're going to get several videos on that specific topic with specific exercises for knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, posture, literally anything that you probably could have. Um, start there. And then the, the one danger about our sort of internet age is there's a tidal wave of content being put out there because anyone can put out content now, whether you have an expertise or a background in the topic at all. So that makes for a lot of information to kind of sift through. Um, I, I happen to know about these topics because I've spent my whole life studying and practicing them, but I have 250 some odd videos that you have to sort through on my YouTube channel. So option number two would be to go to the website and find the program that I've probably already created on your specific pain <laughs> and just follow that for 30 to 45 days where you get a custom PDF and a custom routine to follow, videos that I don't have on YouTube. So that would be the thing, the search bar on my YouTube channel to find your specific thing and then search my products page on my website because I probably already have a 30 or 45 day program about what you're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> And is there a third thing? I mean, you gave us two, maybe something that maybe a mental state. I mean, you're big into meditation, maybe routine, something yeah. uh, psychological. I would say the third one would be the inner game. So that would, all the first part was the outer game. And then the inner game is either the meditation. I think everything in life is better when you're more relaxed and more present. So if you're going through some kind of physical pain or problem, uh, being more relaxed about it, and more in tune with it is going to be helpful. And meditation will definitely help that. I would add, in addition to that, that I found that sounds cheesy, but like, like the keeping a positive attitude and affirmations and things like that actually really helps, even though it's kind of like, it's cheesy in this day and age, like just think positively, like, okay, great, Jane, I'll just think positively. But, but really, if you, if you observe the people around you and you see some people that are going through pain, 
you can see the negativity in them that just gets expressed about the pain, about why me? And they're just stuck in this sort of like vortex of like suffering and misery, which I get it. I've had really bad pain and it's really hard to think positively during that. But I remember thinking to myself when I was going through my really bad problems and like I couldn't, I couldn't even like bend over the sink to brush my teeth. And I was 26 at the time. And I thought like my, my athletic career is over. My life is over. My girlfriend was putting my socks on for a month. Like that shouldn't be happening when you're 26. And so it was really, I could have been very negative and pessimistic at that time. But mm, I remembered these affirmations that my dad gave us were, um, right. He would have us kind of repeat these and he would give us like a quarter or a nickel or something. <laughs> and we would, like memorize these, these affirmations. And one of them came to my mind when I was going through that, which was how is this the universe conspiring on my behalf? So I was thinking to myself, mm. why did the universe F up my hips and F up my back? How, like, for some reason, this is the universe conspiring on my behalf. Like this is going to be something beautiful for me. And it did because it, it led to this journey where I learned way more about my body. And I know for sure that I'm going to have pain, more pain and injury later in life. I'm only 35. I've got many years to go and the body, none of us get out alive, as they say, like the body just, <laughs> the body just breaks down over time, no matter how perfectly you take care of it, it's going to break down to some degree. But I, I now, because of that experience, developed this whole skill set that allows me to take care of pain a lot quicker than the average person. And that gives me a peace of mind and a confidence that I know that I can handle whatever pain's gonna kind of come my way. So uh, if that affirmation, you know, that how is this the universe conspiring on my behalf or how is this perfect for my growth and learning? Or the other one was um, what's real now? What, what's real now? What's possible? So it's like, what's actually real? Okay, what's real is I can't do this. I can't do this. I have pain here. Great, I got it. Now what's possible? So if any of those three affirmations or, uh, are helpful or the meditation is helpful, then that will be kind of help you with the, the inner battle, the inner game of pain and injury, which is going to be something we all deal with. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to end it, man. You, you just, you just uh, threw a whole bunch of stuff at, into the mic there at the end there, which is all gold. I love the mental stuff. We didn't talk too much about it. We talked about meditation, but I think some of those affirmations are great. So we can wrap it up there. Uh, Shane, thank you so much. And uh, I guess just one last thing. Is there anything else that you want to uh, say uh, or share with us before uh, we say goodbye? No, I just appreciate you for the work that you're doing for the young men and women that I know you're going to help. I know it's like anyone that goes through what you have been through with kind of you injured your back and your leg wasn't working and how scary that is. Like if you've ever gone through something really heavy like that, like I have, like you have, you feel a sort of obligation to kind of turn back and try to help other people that are going through that. So I appreciate you for for doing that work with the young people. Is it, is it mostly young people that you work with? So everyone, man, I think uh, a lot of the people is going to be, end up being older people, actually, probably, probably more people in our age range, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's, of course, I'm not discriminating here. Anyone who I can help, I will gladly help. But I think, I think a lot of the older people are the ones who uh, uh, come from a different generation where they don't necessarily, didn't necessarily have uh, the perspectives that maybe we share now. And I think some of the younger kids do. Um, thankfully. So I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to just help, man. So I appreciate those kind words and um, thank you, Shane, and uh, take care. All right, brother.
Thank you for listening to the Back to Basketball podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes, subscribing, rating, and leaving a review for the podcast, as well as following us on social media. We thank you for your support and see you in the next episode.